0: Where it talks about, and it seems like it's a, a divergent, but it's not. He's talking about considering the cost of something and the battle if a king's fighting a battle. And I want to clarify what he's talking about because those folks who heard this originally weren't really sure what he was talking about. And he talks about if anybody wants to come after him, first of all, he says, and doesn't hate his father and mother and his family and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The word hate there is not the word hate as we know it. The word hate is to love less. That we must love Jesus more than those things and people in our own life. And he also says, whoever doesn't bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that cross is different for each one of us. Now here's what he says though. He says, "Which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down to count the cost whether you have enough to finish it. And if you've laid the foundation and you don't have enough, others are going to begin to mock you. Imagine if uh, Noah started to build the ark, and 120 years later says, well, <laughs> "I ran out of wood. There's not enough room for all the animals. He would be feeling mighty embarrassed after spending all that time, wouldn't he? Or if he didn't have enough materials or help in other ways. And yet, they say to this one, he began to build and he wasn't able to finish. That would be tragic for Noah. Now, when Jesus says that, he's talking about a relationship with himself or not having one and you consider the end result of where you are compared to where it will end up and how you're going to get there. The relationship with Jesus Christ ends in eternal life and salvation. And you have to look at that and see how much that matters to you as compared to what it's going to cost you. Also, he is referencing that if you do not follow Jesus Christ and believe in Him, what that will cost you. And whether you're willing to pay that price. And if you have enough, either way to get to the end. And he says, what king going to war against another king, and here's what he says, doesn't first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10 to meet someone who has 20,000. Or else while the other still a great way off, he asks for conditions of peace so he doesn't get destroyed, right? Now listen to this. In our lives with Jesus Christ, if we have a relationship with Him, the conditions of peace are met at Calvary. Mm-hmm. If we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the conditions of peace we're making are with Satan. We either have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our peace, or the devil who's given us the terms of our peace, which are none but promise but never fulfill. And so he says, you got to sit down and consider what's going on in your life, and what's going to happen later. We used to say it like this, and we don't use cassettes anymore, but we used to say, play it to the end of the tape to see what it looks like at the end. What you could say is, roll the movie forward of your life a hundred years and see if that's what you liked from what your life is right now to between then and now. And see if this is going the direction you want to be a hundred years from now and into eternity. Roll it forward and see what the results are of the life you live and the way you live it are. And Jesus says, if it's a problem and you're going up against the devil in eternity without Jesus, you better figure out how to get some peace another way. And that's why Jesus says in verse 33, and this is why this fits in, he says, whoever does not forsake all that he has can't be his disciple. And by that he means that they cannot enter into that relationship without, first of all, understanding what it means. What the peace that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ is, what the hope is, and what the cost is, so that you'll be able to finish the race. There are a lot of people who sign up and think that a relationship with Jesus is about being forgiven, and that's it. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not it. So that's an overview of the text. And in this text, the beautiful thing is Jesus says, if anyone comes to Me And what he says there, if anyone comes to me, anyone can come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he's extending an invitation to follow Him, and then he talks about how to do it. But he doesn't say what is understood. Oftentimes Jesus will teach, and what He doesn't say, He thinks you already know. But unfortunately, the crowd at that time, which did understand, isn't the crowd at this time, which does not. And that thing which Jesus did not say to the understanding crowd, because of their society and culture, it was unwritten, but understood. It is not clear for us. And today we're going to talk about that. He has a recipe for being a part of a family. And at first glance, you this text it looks harsh and demanding, it looks obtrusive in our lives. Like, man, you're going to disrupt the Apple Card of my life, God, and that's not very nice. <laughs> I want something easy uh, that's going to inspire me and and making me feel like you love me and you're kind to me, God. But God through Jesus is saying, you got to. Take up your cross and not like your family as much. And uh, and it sounds like a, a killjoy. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sign me up. It sounds miserable. <laughs> What's he not saying though? Mm-hmm. Take your cross? Hate your family? What's he not saying? It sounds black and white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Matthew 16, he even says very similar words, and I think you'll agree that these aren't any better. He says, If anyone desires to come after Me, follow Him, that is, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Mm -hmm. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus says lose your life to find it, save it, to lose it. And we're going, well if I lose my life I'll be dead, then how am I going to find it? You see, we're so literal when we hear Jesus' words that we don't understand what he's saying. We don't understand how to receive it. And and the greatest thing about this is is Jesus has actually given us an opportunity we do not deserve. I don't think you heard me. He's offering us an opportunity we do not deserve. This is not something that you are guaranteed because you're a wonderful person. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. You've wrote yourself out by being sinful and under sin. You can't be a part of God. And here Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of me, your ears should perk up and say, I'll do whatever it takes to get a part of God. Amen. I'll do whatever I need to. I'll climb a mountain. I'll swim as deep as sea. I'll burrow as deep as I need to. I'll do whatever it takes. And he's saying, not that hard. Mm -hmm. Not that difficult. You don't have to be a physically fine-cultured specimen like some of us are. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) To be able to find Jesus Christ the Creator of the universe giving you audience. Amen. Giving you a place in His creation, co ruler with Him. And we're going, well, I don't know if I can pay the cost for that. It sounds like a lot. Uh-huh. What more would you want Amen. than to have all the world and all the blessings of God if you just say, I want God first. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for some reason... We've been duped into thinking that it's too hard. Or it's not like that. But the truth is our theology's messed us up. Theology is thinking about God, but correct theology is thinking about God in the right ways. But theology doesn't stop and begin and end our faith. Theology, if you will, or what you believe needs to move you. Into honoring God with your words, with your work, with your actions, if you will, with your thoughts. And this is worship. Honoring God with who you are, that's worship. And that's also called doxology. But just because you get to the right words, right actions, and right relationship doesn't mean that you're done. It's also the word we don't say in church, and that's orthopraxy. Very fancy Greek word. It simply means doing the right thing all the time for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, Another word for that is integrity. Mm -hmm. Integrity in the faith. If you don't have those things, your theology, doxology, and orthopraxy in place, you have a disconnect with God. You have a disconnect with yourself and you feel alienated, alone, and isolated in the universe and in this world and a hole inside of you that you cannot fill. This week I had an opportunity to, I say opportunity, as a very good thing, to spend time with my remaining siblings for five days or so. In a small houseboat. <laughs> as you all know, or maybe you don't, all my siblings are older and female. Mm-hmm. And the personalities we had as kids, believe it or not, they're the same ones we have as adults. Amen. So I've got 50 years of practice in my family of being who I am. Now, my right thinking about my family in my mind was, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get ganged up on. This is going to be no fun. And so it led me to what I thought about my family, which your thoughts about things lead you to how you live and respond to it, which was, I don't know that I want to be around this. And my actions would say that. And the, if you will, practice of it was, yeah, it'd be nice to get together maybe next year. But this year, they moved it close so I could go here in Kentucky. And it's the reason they did it, so I'd show up. So I wouldn't have an excuse. They even made me pick the place and the date. (laughs) And I went. Now you might say, well, what does that mean for me and, and for you in this message? In my family, my theology of family was incorrect it caused a disconnect between myself and my sisters that remained for quite some time. Sometimes even between each sister as well. When we got together, my sisters were kind to me. And I began to think, you know, my sisters never rejected me. They never kicked me out more than once. (laughs) And they always welcomed me back with kindness. They never were cruel or mean-spirited mm-hmm. and yet here I was thinking I don't know if I can handle this because in my mind I set up a dynamic much like what we set up in faith and that's this that God is mad at me or I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or they don't he doesn't really care they don't really care was what I was thinking But I didn't have any evidence of that. But it was still in my mind. God has never mistreated you. Never. Mm -hmm. He's never left you out in the cold and said, you're not welcome in my presence. Jesus has included you in if anyone will come follow me. Anyone. And so, here I am. I'm a part of the entire situation. And they're blessing me with things. And I'm going, wow. I think I belong in this family. Because they think I belong in this family. And I had to rethink all this relationship stuff. And it's what we have to do with Jesus Christ. We have to understand we belong in that family on His terms. And that is that He loves you unconditionally. Can you handle that? He wants to bless you with all the riches of heaven. Do you want it? Of course you do. But let me tell you what happened at the end of the week. We were all getting ready to say goodbye to one another. And there's this little I don't know what you call it, but a space somewhere in my heart area where it said, I just found it. And now we're gonna separate. And and I felt this deep sense of loss. And I said, God, what, what's this all about? And he said, you just found out you belong. Amen. And you're not sure what that's like, but you know what it's like to not belong. Mm-hmm. And your heart's crying for more. And here Jesus is giving us a recipe, if you will, mm-hmm. of how to belong. Amen. But what he doesn't say is what you need to hear this morning. What I needed to hear this week. He's talking about fitting in the family. And you do. You fit in the family of God. You belong. You are cherished. You are included. He included you on Calvary. You are part of the gang. You fit in with the gang. The gang's all here and I'm a part of it. It wasn't my sisters, and here I am. It was us. The whole dynamic changes when you're included. You're one of us. It feels great. Peer pressure. You're one of us. Let's all do this, whether it's good or bad. You know, it works. You're a friend. You're family here. This church is learning that. We are us, not them and me or you and us. We're all one. What happens to the least of us happens to all of us. There's devotion between each other in a family. There's a sense of being wanted, which for some of us is very unfamiliar and needed. And that we have a role to play. And these things all tell us when we feel this way that we matter and that we have importance. But it's only half the story. And this is where we stop with the faith. God wants you, He loves you, you need to be in the family, but we forget the second half. And the second half is this. Responsible. If you're part of something, you're responsible to it as well. Not for it, but to it for your part. If you're part of a family, you have a family role. To play it or to live it is to be who you're created to be for that family. Also, to be reliable so that you can be called on and when somebody asks you to do something, they'll know you do it and do it well. And if you're reliable and you're trustworthy, then you can also be accountable. For when you don't do well, or when you see someone else not do well, you all can hold each other accountable for doing the next right thing for God in the kingdom. Also, to be dependable and a willing participant in the family. Amen. I'll tell you, my family doesn't agree on everything. Surprise! <laughs> I asked them to do a timeline, and all my sisters uh, at first, except one, didn't say, It sounds good. And I left the room, and they said, We don't want to do it. <laughs> i said why not they said because this sister doesn't want to do it and i said that's okay but i think when we do it she'll see it's not bad so we all started on it she came in the room grabs a marker and starts filling out on the timeline and i'm thinking i thought she said she didn't want to do this here she is putting more stuff than the rest of us mm-hmm. why because she's invested in family Amen. she's included she wants to be a part when we are included Everybody else doing it says, I'm a part. And therefore, she was able to be a participant in the things that she wasn't at first agreeable to. It's the way it works in a healthy church. We get to express our opinions and we'll go with whatever the church board decides, but and we'll get along that way. We won't hold anything but the joy of saying we're doing this together. We invest in the vision of the church. And so we communicate what we think about and we're actionable in what we say or do as we bring things that matter to the table. We are an integral part. We're not some bystander or someone who's an also was. We may be used to be's, but we are who we are in Jesus Christ and that's integral part of the church and the kingdom of God. You are useful and very much integrated into the kingdom of God. You're doing your part. And if you can do your part and feel accountable and hold others accountable, you have a voice and others have a voice and you all work together, then you feel like you matter and you're accepted. (laughs) And that you have importance. Just like when we said, I feel included, cherished. Devoted, wanted, needed. But these are other ways that we also feel important is because we have something to contribute. (laughs) I love that. You see, there's a connection between belonging and acting in the faith. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to act on that. Do you see that? In the book of James, he tells us, I read it for the epistle reading, to be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it's quite obvious if you hear it and don't do it, that you sound like me. I agree, but you never do anything. You ever seen someone like, they call them yes men? Mm -hmm. You know what yes men are? (laughs) A pain. A pain. They say yes, but they don't do anything. They don't offer any unique ability to the table because all they're there to do is to say yes to the people around them and agree with them. I don't know about you, but how am I going to grow and how are you going to grow unless you have someone who can lead you beyond what you already know? Well, you know, I think I ought to go to the store and someone goes, yes, that's a good idea. Well, I think I'll stay home and sit. That's a good idea, Yes. <laughs> No observation of life. No inclusion in yes all the time. So James tells us to be a doer, not a hearer. He says if you're a hearer, the word is not a doer. You're looking in the mirror and as soon as you leave, you forget what kind of person you were. Now listen to what he says. Because this this is that verse that we miss. It's verse 24 in James 1. He says... For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Doesn't say immediately forgets what he looks like. Oh, we're real good about appearances. But we forget the kind of person we are. When we look into God's holy law, and it shows that we are sinful, worthy of condemnation, broken, empty souls with holes inside, the size only God can fill. And we forget, and we start living our lives without knowing this. And Jesus says, When you do that, you're living for yourself rather than for who you are in relationship to me. So, what is it that Jesus doesn't say? He says all sorts of things. He says, Take your cross. Love me more than your family and friends and yourself and your own life. But here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I need your devotion. Your devotion to me is first. You're loyal to me. Your life and your livelihood comes from me. If you're devoted to me, it's different than being subservient. Devoted means that you are desiring this relationship and you want to be with Him as much and as often as possible. Subservient says you have to. Devoted says I get to. I can't believe it, but I get to. And we miss that with what Jesus says. Because He's saying take up your cross. If that's all i got to do, I'll do it. Instead we're going, I mean, i actually got to do some work. I've got to deny myself and let go of some junk in my life that doesn't belong. I don't know. That's too much to ask. Amen. That's not much at all. It's the beginning of a life transformation where He's going to renew you inside and out so that the stuff He's asked you to get rid of is actually in the way of who you are. And the stuff He asks you to pick up is actually who you are. Jesus is saying, be a disciple. That's what he's saying. Be a disciple. He doesn't say it, does he? If you want to be a disciple, if you want to have a life with me, be a disciple. He doesn't say that. He says, if anyone wants to come after me. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ and all the things he promises, be a disciple. But not be a disciple like, I've got to be tutored and under this guy's authority and all this other stuff, and I don't want to, but rather the Creator of the universe has said to me, there's an opening. It's highly sought after and demanded by all the demons. They don't get it. All the angels want that spot. All the universe cries out to God, let me have that spot. And He says, No. I'm offering it to you. There is a cost. And the reward is great. But few ever go beyond, oh, he's included me too. I have a part to play in this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr for uh, the faith in World War II. He was uh, executed about two weeks before Hitler died. He was promoting Christianity and wasn't supposed to. But he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And the book's theme basically is when you give your life to Christ and become a disciple, you're you're bidden to come and die. And it sounds like a nice thought. But let me rephrase what I just said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was martyred for his faith. Those were not nice words to him. It was a joy for him to be martyred for Jesus. He honored him to honor his Lord that way. How much more all in can you be? Are we... Are you willing to do that? Jesus says to love me more than you love your own life. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's a no-brainer. My own life I didn't give it to me. I can't keep it. I love Jesus. And my life is only a fragment of time in the face of the universe. I'm going to trust the Creator to do with me as He will because my life doesn't make a whole lot of sense without Him. I'm counting the cost of living my life with Jesus and without Jesus. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, there is no comparison. What keeps you back? Thinking it's too hard. Have you considered what Jesus has laid on the table in front of you? Moses said, life and death. Jesus, not Jesus. <laughs> life and death. Moses says, choose life. Jesus even said, I am the life. We spoke about that Easter morning. But I want to know something. Who said that it was okay? Who told you that it was okay to live halfway for Jesus? To carry bitterness and unforgiveness? Who told you this was okay? Who said you can carry resentments? Scripture doesn't say it's okay to resent. It says it'll kill you. It'll destroy your peace and your fellowship. Who said it was okay that you could love some people but not others? Who said we could justify that and say that that's okay before God? God didn't say that. Jesus said, love me more. And the test of that is that you love others also. That's the test. Because that's His command. And and believe it or not, the thing that's wrong with the hole in our heart and why it's theirs because it doesn't feel like it can love. This week I come face to face with the fact that my sisters have loved me my entire life and I did not believe it. One on one, maybe, but not in mass. And that leaves a hole in your chest that says, What's going to fill this? And all of a sudden, they start loving me, and I'm getting overwhelmed with emotion. I don't understand why. It's because love's getting into the place where it says, It's not real. Amen. And when God does that, He's calling you to say, Open up this emptiness inside to the hope and joy and peace of Jesus Christ that sets you on a path of healing and restoration and by the way eternity with him ruling over everything and all you have to do is not want what you got I don't know if anybody remembers this besides me but they used to have a show called let's make a deal And they had a couple different things on the stage. Uh, One, two, and three usually. What's behind door number one? What's in the box? Or would you like what's in my hand? Amount of cash. And And Monty would say, let's make a deal. Do you want what's in door number one? I can give you a sneak peek. Now, you get a sneak peek and He says, Would you like to trade it before what's behind door number two? Mm Do you remember that? Well, God's saying this. How would you like to have all of it Mm -hmm. by getting rid of all that you have now? Then you may have it all back plus more. I don't know, God. It's just so hard to let go of this this possession because... uh, Because I'll have a hundred times more later and I just want just this one right now. I feel like I own it. (laughs) And there's the other thing he does not say. Is you don't own your family. You don't own your friends. You don't own your kids. And you don't own your life. How can you even keep it anyway? It's not yours. But the world is taught as it is. So the question is, do you look in the mirror and see what kind of face you have or the kind of person you are when you hear God's Word? What's keeping you back from going all in with God? Why would you ever consider for a second that it would be unworth doing? I'm going to say it like this and I'm going to close. Whoever told you it's okay to carry all the junk, including resentments, anger, bitterness, um, addictions, all these things, in your life that don't please God lied to you and you believed it. Amen. Letting go of the lie is what you need to do. Why? <laughs> that stuff isn't setting you free. doesn't give you peace. But you will know the truth who is Jesus Christ. And if you do, then that truth will set you free. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, hearing your word to us is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Thank you for the healing, the blessing, your presence, and your guidance. I ask that as we gather here this morning, Heavenly Father, that we would hear the call once again, follow me. And, and it's not a call of burdensome. It's a call of blessing and peace. So I ask that you would revive us, restore us, and remind us that you brought us with a very precious place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.